0: Well, Today's reading is Luke chapter 18 and very much like yesterday's reading this chapter is full of wisdom and rich insight and in it we find some familiar parables and events as well as some encouraging and admonishing words so we've got a bit to think about this morning so let's consider some of what we find here Uh, I love the way this chapter opens with a lesson about praying and not losing heart praying and not losing heart the chapter begins with Jesus praying. Uh, parable to his disciples to exhort them and teach them this truth, verse 1, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now, this exhortation assumes a couple of things about us. For one, we tend to be seldom in prayer. <laughs> if we're just honest, we don't pray like we should. And so he exhorts us to always pray pray and pray always. And for another, whenever we're of a mind to pray persistently for something, it's often short-lived because we're prone to lose heart when we don't see an immediate answer. So he exhorts us to not lose heart. If ever there was a word that we need to hear, it's this, pray and keep praying. Jesus illustrates this truth by telling a parabolic story about a widow continually beseeching a judge to give her justice in a matter, verse 3. The judge attempted to ignore her for a while, but over time, her persistence was more than he could bear, verse 4. And even though he didn't personally care about her situation, he didn't, and didn't really care about her receiving justice. He just wanted to get her off his back. He relented and granted her request, verses 4 and 5. Jesus tells his disciples to take notice of this because often this is how the real world works. His point, though, is not to say that god has a sinful disposition like that judge in the parable and that he just wants to get us off his back rather again he argues like this and teaches like this a lot he wants to illustrate that if an evil and sinful judge will relent over time and grant the request how much more will a perfectly merciful and gracious god answer his own when they ask persistently like that widow did Jesus even says that God doesn't always take a long time to answer, but sometimes answers speedily. He says that in verse 8. But his point, though, is to come to the Lord in prayer with a posture of willingness to pray persistently for a matter, if necessary, in order to receive his help and answer. And the question that comes to my mind in this has always been, why, why did the Lord design prayer in such a way that we must often pray in a persistent fashion In order to receive his answer. Well there are a lot of things that we simply will never know until we see him face to face. Many things to us in this life are left as one preacher put it to the imponderables of almighty God. There is one possible reason though that comes to my mind and it's related to a truth that we considered from the last chapter. Remember when the disciples in the last chapter asked Jesus to increase their faith. Remember how Jesus reminded them that it wasn't the amount of faith that accomplished the things, but rather God in whom they put their faith? Even faith as small as a grain of mustard seed. Well, why did we surmise that Jesus said that? We said that because if Jesus granted them increased faith and miracles, and then miracles started happening, the disciples would be tempted to believe that it was their faith that worked miracles rather than the Lord. I think something akin to that is going on here too. Notice Jesus ends this section on praying and not losing heart with this statement. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Verse 8. Praying and not losing heart is a matter of faith. With that in mind, consider what we might be prone to think if every time we prayed and asked God for something, he answered in exactly the way we asked, the very first time we asked for it. What might we be tempted to think if that were the case I can tell you that if God answered my prayers exactly how I asked for it the very first time I asked for it I would be tempted to believe that I was somehow in control of things and that it was my prayer my faith my will that made things happen rather than the Lord. The Lord would be more like a uh, celestial gumball machine. He holds the gum that is the blessing and I insert my coin the prayer and he dispenses the gum the blessing because I have done what I have done. That is prayed if he didn't dispense the blessing the very first time I prayed I would cry foul because I viewed my prayer like a coin in a gumball machine. We think something's wrong with the machine if we put in a coin and it doesn't immediately give us what we want. When we view God in prayer in a similar way, then for similar reasons we impugn God when he doesn't immediately give us what we want the first time we pray. So to help us remember that God is the giver of all good things, he says that we we should pray persistently for things, reminding us to not lose heart because he has good reasons for making us wait. Well, the second question I would get to from this chapter is where do you look for your righteousness um we also find in this chapter the well-known story of the pharisee and the tax collector of course the pharisee in this story is put forward as the one who supposedly is in god's favor whereas the tax collector was put forward as the one who supposedly supposedly is out of god's favor they both come to the temple and pray jesus highlights the way that each of them pray to show which one went home justified or righteous in the sight of God. Notice that as the Pharisee described himself to the Lord in this prayer he described himself as moral he says I, he wasn't an extortioner or unjust or an adulterer says that in verse 11 he, so he describes himself as moral and as faithfully religious. I mean he claimed to fast twice a week. How many of you do that by the way I don't and give tithes of all his income verse 12 it wouldn't be wrong by the way to fast twice a week but i just don't do it so he was moral he was faithfully religious and he claimed to give god the credit for all of it notice in verse 11 he begins his prayer by thanking god for all these things so i get i say what's wrong with this i mean is it wrong to be moral no is it wrong to be faithfully religious not necessarily Is it wrong to give God credit for all things? Absolutely not. So what? Well, the problem is stated in verse 9 when we realize he is being presented as being among those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. His eyes were focused on himself. He was proud of himself. He may give God credit for it, but he really and truly is putting his Hope and trust and pride in what he sees in himself. By contrast, the tax collector knew he had nothing at all to offer God whatsoever. He wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven out of his intense humility in verse 13. He knew that whatever favor he may receive from God would not be because of anything at all that he had done, but would be precisely despite all the things that he had done. He simply pleaded for mercy. He was looking at God's righteousness rather than his own, unlike the Pharisee. He, was, he wasn't giving God credit for anything in him. He was looking to God to be all in all. This is the one, Jesus says in verse 14, who goes home justified. It's much like the author of Hebrews exhorts us in Hebrews 12 to, um, to be justified in Christ alone, that, that is to fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. Sure, one truly born again by the Spirit of God will bear spiritual fruit in our lives as evidence of spiritual life. But even then, we don't place our hope and confidence in our fruit and our good works, but always and forevermore in the only one who is perfectly righteous in our place, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to him for your righteousness and your standing place before God. Finally, uh, one thing you still lack. We have considered the episode of the rich young ruler's encounter with Jesus in our study through Matthew and Mark, and so we've already gleaned a good bit from it. I do, however, want to point out another quick observation about the story as we find it here in Luke. One thing I noticed here as this man approached Jesus and asked him what he must do to inherit eternal life in verse 18 is Jesus holds up uh, the law of God to him. What, what is important to remember here is that the Ten Commandments were broken up into what they called the two tables of the law. The two tables of the law. The first table comprised the first four commandments pertaining to our duties toward God. The second table comprised the last six commandments, beginning with honor your father and mother, and the fifth commandment, that pertain to our duties toward man. When Jesus started itemizing when when he said keep the law and then he started itemizing the different commandments to him in verse 20. Notice that he only listed commandments from the second table of the law. Don't commit adultery is number seven. Don't murder. Sixth commandment. Don't steal. Eighth commandment. Don't bear false witness. Ninth commandment. Honor your father and mother. Fifth commandment. He listed only our duties toward man. And the rich young ruler confidently Asserted that he had kept all these commandments all his life. Verse 21. Jesus then reminds him. That he had neglected entirely the first table of the law. Beginning with the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. The man worshipped his wealth and possessions. Unfortunately an idol. uh, Not isolated to that one man. But pervasive in our hearts as well. And it reminds us too. That unless uh, we get the first table right. We can't get the second table right. Put differently, if we refrain from stealing, merely to refrain from stealing, there is no righteousness in it. It's only when we refrain from stealing because we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength that it is a righteous act. And to sum it all up, when we realize these things, we realize that Isaiah was right when he said, All our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Isaiah 64 6. Again, Only Jesus never sinned and was perfectly righteous. Put your hope in him alone. That is Luke chapter 18.